If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. I want you to hold your spot there. We're going to come back to it in a few minutes. <clears throat> I want to talk to you today about how we experience life change. And, you know, I, I'm just going to say this. I know we're running a little bit behind, but that's okay because we'll have fresh baked cookies for you after the service is over. Yes, we will. How does life change occur? Life change happens, it occurs when we consistently hear and respond, not just hear, but hear and respond to God's voice. How can we hear God's voice for ourselves? That's the question. How do we get to the point to where we hear God's voice for ourselves? In Dallas Willard's book, Hearing God, he talks about that, and he talks about the importance of each one of us being able to hear God's voice for ourselves, but this particular section that, he, that I'm going to read today really speaks to church leaders and ministers. But I want you to see yourself in what's being read, all right? And this, this is a little lengthy, but it's, it's good, so I want you to, to listen up. Speaking pastorally, one of the greatest harms church leaders can do to those under their care is to convince them that God is not going to meet them personally or that he is really doing only so if the leaders approve of what's happening. If our gospel does not free the individual up for a unique life of spiritual adventure and living with God daily, we simply have not entered fully into the good news that Jesus brought. God does take care of his church, and all of our efforts as leaders must be directed towards fostering each person's individual adventure with him. We can trust him and nothing else, not even the sterling soundness of, and sobriety of our own faith and practice. If we trust anything else, we as leaders will cause those in our charge to trust something else as well. And we may end up at best with very proper spiritual corpses filling our pews. There are dangers to encouraging people to hear from God. Then he says this, of course there are. The adventure can get disastrously out of hand. We know that people go off the deep end, and this problem must be addressed. Yet after gravely warning that death and disaster may also come from going off the shallow end, what must be done pastorally is to lead people into an understanding of the voice of God and how it works in their lives. Most important and right at the outset, they must be, be helped to see that recognizing God's voice is something that they must learn to do through their own personal experience and experimentation. They must especially be encouraged to do so so that if they do not already expect God to speak, they will know that he speaks to them. And we may even have to help identify the voice of God for them and instruct them how to respond. Those who are older in the way should be prepared to do this from their very own experience. I love that. I love that. I asked you the question earlier, and I'll ask it again. How do we experience life change? Life change begins with being able to hear the voice of God 
And then after hearing the voice of God, asking two questions. God, what is it that you're saying to me? And then what will you have me do about it? What will you have me do about it? I told you to go to Mark chapter 1. Are you there? Okay. Mark chapter 1. Let me set, let me set the, the context for you here real quick. Jesus is about ready to come on scene. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, had been baptizing uh, people in the Jordan River. And, you know, he had been doing this. So he had all these followers of disciples. Jesus comes up and John makes this statement. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he says, I'm not even worthy to undo his shoelaces. And then the Bible says that when, when John the Baptist um, baptized Jesus, Jesus came up out of the water and the heavens split open and the voice, first of all, the Holy Spirit came down, descended like a dove, right? And then the voice of the Lord spoke and said, this is my son, you are my son, and I am pleased with you. You are my son. Now, listen to what happened. Oh, and then, and, and then this, you know, just because you hear the voice of God and God is pleased with you doesn't mean that you're not going to go through difficult times, right? Because the scripture says that immediately after God said, I'm pleased with you, the Holy Spirit says, now let's go out into the wilderness and be tempted for 40 days of Satan. Just leaves him right out there. So Jesus has gone to the wilderness he comes back. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, is gone off scene. He's imprisoned. Jesus knows that this is the time that was prophesied from the very beginning. Listen to what he says. And after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of John and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let me read that again. Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Hmm. So Jesus starts with this, with this simple statement. The time is right now. It's now. This is your opportunity this is your opportunity for change. But here's the point. If change is going to occur, two things have to happen. And I'm going to talk to you about that today. This is the process of life change we're going to talk about today. And it can be best demonstrated by what I call the life change circle. Now, I'm going to begin the life change circle with a straight line. Go figure that. In the Greek language, there are two definitions of time. The first is chronos. Chronos is, is linear time. It's, it's, it's basically the timeline of, of humanity. But more specifically, chronos is, is our time. It's, it's, it's the linear timeline of our lives. It's from the time, chronos is from the time we draw our first breath until the time we exhale our last breath. That is chronos, 
perpetual time. It's where we get the word chronograph from, okay? When Jesus says the time is now fulfilled, he's not talking about chronos. Jesus is talking about kairos. Kairos is a specific moment in time. You know, it's a specific moment in time where, you know, you might be going about your merry way, just, you know, doing life as, as, you, as we always do, and just not paying attention, and bam! I like doing that. The kingdom of God and the reality of God collides with our kingdom and our reality, and it produces this moment in time where we can clearly hear God speaking. Now I want to say this. There are, there are, we have those moments in time all the time if we're paying attention because God is always speaking. Okay, let me say that again. We have these moments in time all of the time if we would just pay attention because, listen, God is always speaking. He's always speaking. And so, you know, we're using a life change circle to, to describe, you know, kairos moments. But, you know, we have these little bitty kairoses going on all the time where God is trying to get our attention, trying to get our attention, trying to get our attention. And then all of a sudden, bam, he does something. We have this great big kairos moment where we clearly hear the voice of God and we know without a doubt that he is speaking. He'll use anything to do it when we're paying attention. Let's give you something really practical. The other day I've been praying, you know, I'm just in my closet praying, and for whatever reason, the face of this guy came across my, my mind. I haven't seen this guy for 30 years. 30 years. Everybody say 30. 30. 30. That's a long time, isn't it? Some of y'all in here aren't even 30 years old. But it had been like 30 years since I've seen this guy. And, you know, I felt compelled to go to Lowe's. You know, I, I do feel compelled to go to Lowe's often, actually. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but, but I felt compelled to go to Lowe's at this specific time. And so, you know, I grabbed my wife and we went down to Lowe's. And I'm telling you, man, this, thing, this blew my mind. Because and Ryan and I talked about this a little bit. You know when you get in that vein where before you can even ask something, God answers it for you? You know what I'm talking about? I'm at, I just made the statement, man, it sure would be nice to see this cat. After 30 years, I'm walking in Lowe's, right? 30 years. Everybody say 30 years. 30 years. I'm walking in Lowe's with my wife, and, I, and, and this guy is standing there, and he says, can I help you? He turns around and says, can I help you? And I said, I said, is your name Ron? He said, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been 30 years. I said, Ron Harper? He said, Greg McCormick? I said, yeah, man, that's me. And, <laughs> and, and listen, here's what happened. I had this, this reunion, this amazing reunion with this guy because, because I heard God spe clearly speaking to me to go to Lowe's. <laughs> yeah, that might have a way of coming back and preaching one day, huh? But I clearly heard him speaking, go to Lowe's, go to Lowe's at this time. Listen, God will use anything to get your attention. He'll use anything to give you a Kairos moment. He'll use anything to let you know I'm speaking to you. 
Could be an unexpected raise on your job. Could be losing your job. It could be a miraculous healing. Or it could be a diagnosis of an incurable disease or physical challenge. <laughs> it could be kids. How many of you don't gotta use your kids to talk to you? As a matter of fact, you know, I was thinking, you know, God will use our, our kids to talk to us and get our attention and drive us to our knees, right? But listen to something, children's. You know, and let me, go, let me back up. Not all the time is it, is it the kid's fault. Sometimes it's just simply God trying to use our kids to get our attention, right? But now listen, listen to me, children's. Not all the time is it your parents. Your parents aren't wrong all the time. It could be that God is using your parents to get your attention. Somebody said God is speaking. I know at least I got one amen out there. Hmm. He's always speaking. He'll use anything. For followers of Christ, the voice of God is not random. Jesus says, when your kairos occurs, there's a simple process that must take place. And this is where the circle divides into two halves. The right side is an invitation to repent, and the left side is a challenge to believe. The right side, the, am, I, am I right? It's right side, left side. Depends on how you're looking at it, okay? It's, it's God saying, I want, I want you to clearly understand what it looks like to walk through the process of repenting and believing. The left side represents the promise of a new life that God invites us to take hold of. Repent. You know, when you think about the word repent, it evokes all kinds of images, doesn't it? Pain and guilt, tears and sadness. And, and generally, we use the, the word repentance here in church regarding something that we've done wrong, right? But the word repent doesn't necessarily mean something that you've done wrong. The word repent simply means turning away from something and moving towards something else. That's what it means. It means turning away from something and moving towards something else. Repentance is saying, I'm going to walk away from this thing that's lesser because there is something greater for me when I do that. That's repentance. It's turning away from one thing to another thing. Are you with me? It's the realization that what you're moving towards is far greater than what you're leaving behind. There was a quote that happened this week, and, and uh, it's, from, it's from the guy I call the poet, William Bynum. And William's not even here today, so he had no idea I was going to be talking about repentance. But the, the subject of repentance came on up, and here's what he said in a, in a text message. We are taught primarily in church that repentance is simply a turning away from sin that we do. But it is not merely just that. It's deeper. Repentance is not just turning away from sin. It is the gift, it is the gift for God or of God to understand the detriment of your sin 
that you turn away from. To repent literally means to change the way that we understand things. The Greek word for repent is metanoeo. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. It means to change or transform. Life begins, Scripture tells us, with the renewing of our minds. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse uh, one, he says, he says I, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God as your spiritual act of worship. And then he says this, don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed, how, Paul? By the renewing of your mind. Life change begins with the renewing of our mind. And changing our understanding will lead to changes in our behavior. That's where belief takes place. Belief is an act of faith that moves us towards permanent life change. And even though this life change may not make total sense to me, when it's happening, these actions don't make total sense to me. I have to trust that God is leading me through a process that will create in me a lasting, permanent change. And here's where I believe that, that the evangelical church has got some things twisted because, you know, yes, can God change us overnight? Absolutely. I've seen changes take place overnight where a person is one way, one minute, and God comes in, changes their life, and, and they're a different person altogether, and their actions correspond. But that's not always the way that it happens. Sometimes even after we believe, God enters us into a process that takes longer than a few moments. It takes time, often years. Hmm. God is always speaking. Both the process of repentance and belief can be broken down in three parts. Repentance be begins with observation, observance. What is actually happening here? It leads you to a point of reflection. Why is this happening and, and how did I get here? And then that should lead you to a point of discussion. What, what is the perspective of other godly people in my life, people that I can trust, people that I know will tell me the truth even if I don't like what I hear? That's the process of repentance. My challenges, in, in discussion I learned that my challenges are not unique, that others have faced the same struggles. In, in discussion I learned that, that I can actually observe things better when I'm talking to people about what's going on. And my discussion leads me to deeper times of reflection. My godly friends often remind me of the scriptures that, that correlate with, with the very thing that I'm struggling with in, in discussion. Then in discussion, they pray with me and ask God to give me insight on how to move forward in this particular area of my life where he's revealed that there needs to be some repentance. Hmm. The whole purpose of, of this side is to get to the question, church, what is God saying? What is God saying? Repentance. Let me give you just a, just a biblical explanation of how that works out practically. In the book of Luke, chapter 10, 
Jesus is at Martha's house. You know the story? He's at Martha's house and, and, and he's reclined at the table and Mary nestles up to the table and she's there at the table with him. And, and, and Martha is in the kitchen busting suds and cooking. Busting suds means that she's washing dishes. Busting suds, yeah. I know sometimes my vernacular, I have to explain myself. So she's in there slaving away, right? She's doing her thing, and she comes out, right, to Jesus. She says, teacher, I'm in here slaving away, and Mary's sitting here just, just having a good old time at your feet. Jesus walks through the half of the circle. He observes. He says, yes, she is. And then he causes her to reflect. He says, he says, Martha, Mary, Mary has chosen the good thing. And now let me discuss with you why. Then he goes on to tell her that what he is sharing will lead to life change for her. And that she could be doing the same thing. Do you see how that works? Have I lost you guys? You with me? Yes? Yes. So God is speaking. That's a practical example of that. So now what is he saying? Because hearing God speak and knowing that he's speaking and asking the question, what am I going to do about it is just, or what is he saying is just part of the equation. The other half of the equation is, what does God want me to do about it? What am I prepared to do to experience long-lasting transformation that God is offering me right now in this moment? The, the belief side of the circle is the action side of the circle. It also contains three parts, to plan, to account, and to act. And listen to me. Pelzetta said in a different way. I'm going to say it again. God is not going to expect something from me that I'm not capable of delivering. If God is prompting me to change, he will make a way and grant me the power to change. So you plan. You, you determine what God is saying. The next step is, is, is God, I'm going to do something with what you've told me to do. So you go back to your trusted friends and you, you devise a plan. And I want to tell you something. I want to encourage you. Listen, no matter how good you plan, sometimes your plans are simply going to fail. And you're going to have to be okay with that. You got to know that no matter if you fail, God is still there with you when you plan, if you just continue to move forward. Your first attempt might fail, but you stay with it. You persevere. You see what God does. Hmm. And then you account. You use a method to account for how well your plan is working. And you also have someone to be accountable to. You know, I think accountability has a twisted definition in some people's minds. Because I think many people think that 
if I want to be accountable, if I want, Ryan, I want you to hold me accountable. I got this problem in my life. I'm going to say, Ryan, I want you to hold me accountable to, to talk with you and make sure that I share this problem with you, right? The moment, I, the, moment, the moment Ryan agrees to do that, who's accountable? Okay, let me say that again. So I come to Ryan and I say, Ryan, I got this issue, right? And, uh, and I really want to work out this issue, and I need you to hold me, I need you to hold me accountable to, to get over this issue, right? The moment Ryan says yes, who's accountable? No. Ryan's accountable. Because now, now I've gone to Ryan, and I said, I need you to hold me accountable, so now Ryan is responsible to hold me accountable. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm getting, this is the talkback session. I love it. <laughs> is, there, is there work to be done? Absolutely. Yes, there is. But the moment that I ask Ryan to hold me, watch this keyword now, accountable, and he says, I will hold you accountable, he is now accountable to hold me accountable. That was my best John Madden right there. <laughs> you guys follow me? Yes. yes? Okay. So you have to have a method to account. My friends are part of that plan of accountability. My wife is part of that plan of accountability. My inner circle of brothers are part of that plan of accountability. And then I take action according to the plan. And as a reward of my faith in action, I get to experience God's transforming power in my life as I work this over again and again and again. And even if I fail from time to time, I know that the grace of God is sufficient and every time I get up, I grow a little bit. Every time I overcome a challenge, I grow a little bit. Every time a temptation, test, or trial knocks me down, I get back up. I grow a little bit. And every bit of growth, family, is life change. Hmm. Just because you fail the first time doesn't mean that transformation stops. Doesn't mean that you don't get to the place where you watch God do some powerful things in your life. In the book of Mark, chapter 2, you've got the story of the paralytic and his four friends. Now, I'm going to use this story to, to, to show you how the whole circle works, right? Now, now, Mark doesn't give us the full definition of what happened, but so I'm going to use my sanctified mind <laughs> to help you understand this. Let me get some water first. This is my last illustration. We're going to close. So, you, got, you have the paralytic and his four friends, right? Jesus is in town. He's healing folk. He's setting folk free. He's casting out demons. He's doing all these wonderful things, right? And so I can just imagine that this dude on the, on the stretcher is, is talking to his friends. He said, hey, man, I need you to get me to Jesus. I need you to get me to Jesus. And listen, every time Jesus speaks, there's a big crowd of people, so I need you to get me there early, right? You ever deal with somebody that is chronically late? 
I can imagine that maybe one or two of his friends were like one of the chronically late people. Because the scripture says that by the time those cats got to the place that Jesus was speaking, what does the Bible say? The place was packed out. There was no room for them to go in. So their plan had failed. They observed Jesus was in town. They reflected on the fact that he was healing folk. They brought him to a point of discussion. Get me to Jesus, man. Get me to Jesus because I know he can heal me. So they have a plan. But their plan failed. So now it seems like they have to start all over again. You see that Kairos moment? See that Kairos moment, moment after moment? Bam, somebody gets a big idea. I know, why don't we crawl on the roof, rip the roof apart. Okay, let me stop right there. What would happen in modern day if somebody crawled on your roof? When you was having a conversation, somebody said, get shot. When you was having a conversation with some loved ones in your house, man, and all of a sudden somebody's tearing up your roof, hey, man, I couldn't get inside. The parking lot was full, bro, so I'm just going to jump down. <laughs> right? No. But, but listen, but listen, so, so, they, so they, they can't get in, so they crawl up on the roof, and they let these people, they let the man down in from the roof right down in front of Jesus. And if I'm Jesus, I'm laughing. Really? I am. I'm laughing. And then the scripture says, Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. Observe, reflect, discuss, plan. Oh, plan doesn't work. Got to have another plan. Account. Hey, man, get me up on that roof. Act. Lord him down. Life change. Jesus looks at the man and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. And then he, and then he has dialogue with the, with the Pharisees, and then he says, okay, what's, what's easier for, you to, for me to say that your sins are forgiven or for him to take up his bed and walk? Life change, man. Life change. But so that you'll know that I am the son of God and that I have the power to forgive sins that I have the power to change lives. Take up your bed and walk. How do we experience life change? First, we have to get to the place where what we're doing, where we recognize that what we're doing is not good enough. And we turn from the thing that we've been doing and run towards something of greater value. Melissa, you can come up. We repent, and then we put our faith in the action by believing what God says that he will do, then taking him at his word, and then allowing him to change our lives as a result of us being partakers, participated with him in what he wants to do in our lives to change us. That's how life change happens. And this circle is just a simple way to remember what that looks like. Will you stand with me? We're going to sing one more song. And when we sing, 
this song. If you have children, I want you to go and grab your kids and bring them back in because we're going to take communion together as a family. <laughs> and, and here's what I want you to hear from me. Every follower of Christ, whether they attend this church or not, is part of God's family. You're more than welcome to take communion with us. We want you to take communion with us. Don't we, family? We do. Paul tells us that we're to examine ourselves. Before we eat and before we drink, we're to observe and we're to reflect. And then we're to discuss with God what he brings to mind before we eat and before we drink. And so I want to ask you right now this question. What is God saying to you right now in this moment? Where is that spot in your life where Man, that thing just keeps nagging you again and again and again. And today you realize that if you fully walk around that circle and don't just stay in the repentance side, but, but, but begin to work with God as he's got a plan for your life and you follow his plan, that he is able, he is able to deliver you from that thing. What is it? You don't have to leave here the same. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't want to just assume that everyone here is a follower of Jesus. And if you're not, I don't ever want you to walk out of this sanctuary without having an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. I do not want to be accountable if you die outside of relationship with the Lord and you don't have to. So if you're here and you've never embraced the gospel, the good news, you've never repented of your sins, I want to give you that opportunity right now. If that's you, be bold enough to slip your hand up. I just want to see. Okay, now let me approach this a different way. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you know that the, the atoning work of Christ on the cross is enough for you and you've embraced the gospel, you're anticipating his return and you're, you're ready to take communion because you recognize his sacrifice for you. I want to see your hand. Well, Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here in this place that are walking with you, that have embraced your truth. And I ask you as we take communion today and fellowship around your body and your blood and your work on the cross that we will not forget that it is by your sacrifice that we are one in spirit. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Mike.